Amen. So good to see all of you on Life Group Sunday. We're in a series right now uh, called Church Family, and we've just been addressing different, you know, specific issues in the church that relate to one life specifically, and the Life Group Sunday kind of just fell naturally right in that series because what we're going to talk about this morning is a lot of the reasons why we do Life Groups, uh, why that's part of our church. If you've been coming here uh, for any amount of time, you know this. If you're new, you might not. But we don't do a typical Wednesday night midweek service like a lot of churches do, but instead we do life groups. And so on Wednesday nights, we have groups that meet uh, throughout the city. Some meet here at the church. Uh, we, have, we do have one group that meets in Pineville. I think it's on Mondays, but we're going to go through all the groups and when they meet at the end tonight, <clears throat> this morning, excuse me. Got a little carried away in worship. You know, I'm having to recover just a minute. Uh, but no, I've got just a few things that I want to just talk to you about, you know, again, about why we do this, why we decided to go this direction, because I actually wasn't raised in a church that did life groups. Uh, that, this was something that was new to me. And so why did we as a church decide to go this way? Because I actually see tremendous value in both. And, and you remember shortly after COVID, uh, or kind of a yeah, right after. I mean, how many of you remember COVID to begin with? It seems like, it, yeah, it's one of those things kind of hard to forget. But at the same time, you kind of look around and it's like, that just, it feels so long ago at this point. But it, it wasn't, you know, uh, that long ago. But one of the things that I, well, let me make my first point. Sorry. My first point was that during COVID and shortly after, we did do Wednesday night services and we were going through the book of Acts for a long time. And I love doing that. Love going through the book of Acts verse by verse. And um, when we occasionally, when life groups are on break, we will have Wednesday night services where we do that sort of thing. Gather just like this, worship, teach the word. Uh, and that is part of our church too. But life groups are the biggest part. So one of the things, speaking of COVID, that I remembered <clears throat> was I remember feeling specifically how much I missed gathering with the church of Jesus Christ. You know, online is just not the same. Watching online is not the same. And I'm a huge online church, you know, connoisseur. I mean, I love to watch church services and pastors that I, that I love and respect. I love to watch. I get tremendous value out of that in my life. It's, it's almost a daily practice for me to listen to podcasts and watch services online. So tremendous value there. However, there's a lot of things that you get from your local body of Christ that you just can't get online. And that was one of the things I remember about COVID was how much I began to miss gathering, with pe gathering specifically with you, gathering specifically with this group of people. It wasn't like I just wanted to gather with any random people. You know, I wanted to be with the church of Jesus Christ that God's called me to pastor. And I have to just being completely honest with you, pastoring can be you know, it could be a little bit of a, of a challenge sometimes. So there was, you probably all felt like this about your work. There was an element of it when we stopped meeting. Certainly there was a break. Uh, you know, you had that break where like, man, okay, there's kind of a little bit of a relief in a way. But man, it didn't take me long to go, man, I miss gathering with the church of Jesus Christ. And I actually went back and listened to the very first sermon uh, when we had come back from COVID recently. And man, you could just hear it in my voice. I was so excited to be gathered with everybody. And uh, I know many of you were that, that way. But if you pay attention, you can, you can realize that in our society, gathering 
and, and being in deep relationship and deep connection with people is a struggle because so much of what we have with people these days is just very surface. You know, all of social media, you might as well say, is pretty much very, very surface, right? There's nothing deep happening there. There's no true relationship really happening there. And so what ends up happening is you end up feel like you've got a lot of surface connection, but you don't have any deep connection, and so people start to feel very isolated. And, and, and I know I've talked to a lot of people that begin to feel that way. It's like, man, I feel very isolated. Well, it's because we were designed to live in community with, specifically, with other children of God, other believers. And so even just coming to church can feel lonely sometimes. And I've talked to a lot of people uh, through the years that come to church and feel that way. They go, well, I've been coming here, you know, for a few months, and, and I just don't feel connected, and, and I don't really know anybody. Well, let me, can I explain why? Because when you, if you show, if service starts at 10 and ends at, say, 1130, and you show up right at 10 or late, and then you walk in, and you see a few people, and you wave, and you smile, and then as soon as service is over, you hit the door and go back to your car, uh, it's no wonder that there's no relationships, right? It's no wonder that you don't have any relationships, okay? And that's not a, a critique in any way. I'm just saying, if, if you are saying that, at least realize effort does have to be put forth in order to build relationships and build friendships and get to know people, right? We know that. So if that's how you like to come to church, fine. Nothing wrong with it. But your, your relationships are going to be limited. So let's talk specifically about life groups. Uh, one of the things that you get out of life groups, well, one is growth as a, as a person, as a disciple, as a believer. You're going to receive growth because part of what we do at life groups is discuss the Word of God. Also, learning specifically. You're going to learn certain things about the Bible uh, about the Word of God, you're going to learn. And these are all important reasons to come to life groups. But one of the main reasons that we do life groups is for the relationships that we're talking about. Because I have understood through the years how important relationships are. Let me, hopefully you can get what I'm about to say this morning. How important natural relationships are to my relationship with God. And people don't always make that connection right at first. But I found out through the years when I first got saved, I found this out how crucial my natural relationships are to my supernatural relationship with God. And the first way I learned it was in a negative sense, meaning I learned real quick I could not hang around certain people if I was going to live for God, follow God, go after God, stay on fire for God. I realized as a teenager when I really started serving the Lord that negative relationships with people that weren't serving God, were living like the world, greatly impacted my relationship with my Heavenly Father. And I learned this really quick. And it's so basic to the Christian faith, it's honestly not something that I even talk about or think about very often because it's just such a natural part of my life now that I don't, I don't even think about it that much. Now, am I saying you can't have friends and, and, and work with people and be in relationship with people that aren't saved? No, not at all. But I'll say this. When the younger you are in the faith, the more important it is. The more immature you are in the faith, the, the more young you are in the faith, the more important uh, and influential you are, just like a, a child in the natural world, the more influential you are to those wrong relationships. And, and I'm going to tell you, it's something that Satan uses in people's lives. There, there's two things that I have seen derail a person's faith consistently over and over that Satan uses 
over and over to derail people's faith that, I, that I've seen in ministry my whole life. One is relationships. I'd say the number one is relationships. It's almost predictable. Somebody gets saved. Somebody starts following God. They start laying everything down. And the first thing they do is they get a, they get a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. They get a, a loved one. And all of a sudden, and it's somebody that starts pulling them away from God because they're doing things they, they shouldn't be doing in that relationship. And it starts pulling away. And before you know it, they're not coming to church. Before you know it, they're backslidden. Before you know it, they're lukewarm. I've seen it. It's almost predictable. It's almost laughable. I almost want to start saying every, to every person who gets saved and baptized, I almost just want to start warning. Now, listen, you're not allowed to date for six months to a year, okay? Just date Jesus, all right? That's, that's, you, you're not allowed to date because it's so predictable that that's going to happen. And the second one is a job. Again, so predictable. Somebody gets saved, they start turning their life around, they start coming to church, they're at church every Sunday, every time the doors are open, all of a sudden there's a change in their job or they take a new job, now all of a sudden they can't, magically they can't be at church. Over and over again, I see these things derail people. Look, the Bible tells us that we're supposed to be wise in the strategies of the enemy that he uses and, and wise in, the, in his wiles and what he uses to, to trip up people. And relationships is one of those things. So I learned that early on that having correct relationships were actually one of the biggest keys to my relationship with God, especially when I was young in the faith. So on the flip side of it, I had a couple friends that were equally sold out for Jesus. Actually, I had a full youth, just about a full youth group of people that were sold out for Jesus. And man, we loved God. We worshiped together. We prayed together. We went on the streets witnessing together. We, we would go out after church service to, you know, McDonald's or, or uh, Pit Grill. I don't know why Pit Grill. I guess they were open late. Uh, we didn't have IHOP at the time. And we would go eat pancakes and just talk about God. And man, it just strengthened my relationship with God so much as I would hang out with those other Christians and we would encourage each other and we would talk about the Bible verses we were reading, and we would talk about our prayer lives, and we would encourage each other and challenge each other. Man, my faith just grew, 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 grew. And I began to learn very early on how crucial relationships were, natural relationships were, to my supernatural relationship with God. And if you don't understand that, you're making a mistake. Because I've talked to a lot of people through the years that their mindset is, oh, I, I literally even saw it on the back of a pickup truck this week. I literally saw these words across the back of a pickup truck. I, I hope there's nobody here at the church. It was, it, this is what it said, me and God, just me and God. That's what it said, just me and God. And what they mean is just me and God cruising through life, doing life together, just me and God going along, going at it. Look, I'm glad it's just you and God, but listen, God didn't create you to be just you and God. He created you to have relationship with other believers. A, people that are pouring into your life that are further along than you are, that are pouring into your life challenging you, and on the other side, people that aren't where you're at that you're pulling up and helping and pouring into their life. So no, the body of Christ is not just you and God. I've talked to people that, that don't even, you know, I've t I remember talking to a guy one time that he, he'd been offended with the church and so he just, you know, he'd given up on the church altogether. And he didn't go to church anymore and, and those kind of things. And uh, that was his mindset was, well, I don't, I don't need the church to serve Jesus. I don't, I don't need the church. Now, 
People can connect with churches in different ways. I understand there are some people that can't physically attend church, so they watch online, or there's reasons why. But by and large, you should be connected to a local body of believers, if for no other reason, because Jesus is the one who's building the church, and it's his primary task on the earth today, is building the church of Jesus Christ. Every single thing that God is trying to do in this world, he's first doing through his church. And it's an imperfect church. Look, it's, I know some of us been to church. We've been hurt. We've seen bad things. We've had negative experiences. I understand. But just understand, God's never, has never given up on his church, and he never will. Until the day that Jesus Christ comes back, Jesus will be the head of the church, building the church. And what did he say? I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So he's going to be building his church. If Jesus is building the church, guess what I'm doing? I'm linking arms with him, building the church. Side by side with him. And that's every believer, not because I'm a pastor. I want to find out what is God doing, what is Jesus doing, and I want to link arms with him, and I want to make sure that's how I'm spending my life, is building up the church. And woe to people that do the opposite and tear down the church. But that was last week's sermon on division, so don't worry about that. Go back and listen to that. But no, it's building up the church. That's what our goal is. So I learned this very very early on, how crucial relationships are to our supernatural relationship with God. To this day, this is true in my life. To this day. I look at certain relationships that God has brought in my life, and I'm so valuable and so thankful for those relationships, and we're going to get to that in just a minute. But look at 2 Corinthians 6.14, familiar passage of Scripture. Look at what Paul commanded. He said, Do not be unequally yoked with un." Believers. Now, for some of you that haven't been reading the Bible very long, that is not yoked like an egg. Y-O-L-K-E-D, okay? The L is out on this one. It's yoked like, an, like, an, like a yoke of oxen, uh, meaning that they are, they are uh, connected together as part of a, of a team of oxen that are pulling a wagon. And the idea of being unequally yoked is that if you have one ox or you have one bull that's very strong and much larger and you have one that's very small and weak, you're never going to pull the wagon straight, right? You're always going to pull the direction of that strongest one and it's going to slow you down. They're going to trip you up. It's going to be problematic the whole time. We're not, you know, these aren't examples that maybe many of us are used to, but you get the idea. What he's saying is as a believer, someone who's in Christ, you're never going to yoke up well with somebody who is an unbeliever. Certainly that goes for marriage, which is, which is really what this passage is about. But it goes for every relationship. It goes for every relationship. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Well, to most of those questions, it is nothing. We have nothing in common. We don't share any inheritance. We don't have any of those things. Now, of course, there's a balance to this where we could talk about reaching out to unbelievers and, and influencing unbelievers and being around unbelievers in our workplace and sharing the gospel and all that. But how many of you know that's way different than a friendship with an unbeliever? Now, people like to say this all the time. They say, well, Jesus was a friend of sinners. Did you know that's actually not what the Bible says? What the Bible says is that the Pharisees called him that. The Pharisees called him a friend of sinners. Jesus wasn't a friend of sinners. And if he was a friend of sinners, the way the Bible is actually saying that is 
that he was an ally of reconciling them to Christ is what he was talking about. But if you watch Jesus' life, you know who Jesus' closest friends were? The disciples. Jesus wasn't buddy-buddy, like going to the movies, you know, with unbelievers and, and playing poker with unbelievers. He was, this, when, when he was with unbelievers, it was because he was ministering to unbelievers. They weren't just hanging out being all chummy, buddy-buddy. So the reason, that, the reason that sinners loved Jesus is because of the mercy and the compassion and the light that he brought into their life. It wasn't just, oh, we're hanging out as buds. The only people you see him doing that with are the disciples. So we know this in a negative sense. We know how relationships can impact us negatively. That's why we get scriptures like this. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And then again in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals or good character. So again, I, I have found that the younger we are in the faith, the more this is true. The, the more immature we are in Christ, the more this is true. Sure, when you've got a strong, solid foundation and you've been a believer for, for decades, you know, you're, you're not as susceptible to this. But for a lot of young believers, this, this ends up being very true, that bad company ends up ruining good morals. Unfortunately, not the other way around. That's why missionary dating never works. Y'all know what missionary dating is, right? You know, they, they completely violate this scripture that says, do not be unequally yoked, and they start dating somebody who's an unbeliever why, and hopes to bring them to Christ. Listen, not a good idea. Not a good idea. Almost never works. What ends up happening is the opposite. Bad company ruins good morals. That's the opposite. We're saying these things in very general terms. It doesn't mean that there's never been anybody that was successful at it. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. But in general, not the right way to do it and not a good idea. But on the other side, look at what Proverbs 13:20 says. Whoever walks with the wise will become wise. Have you ever experienced that in your life? I sure have, where I get around somebody that's a little bit further than me, thinks a little bit higher than me, has a little bit way or a different way of doing things, and it draws me up, it challenges me. Man, you, you hear their mindsets, and you hear the way they do things, and you hear the way they go after God, you hear the way they do their marriage, and it challenges you, and, it, and, and this scripture becomes true, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But look at the second half. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. In other words, it matters who you hang out with. It matters who you hang out with. And I say it again, that the natural relationships that we have in our life are going to end up affecting our supernatural relationship with God. Unfortunately, as a pastor, in the 13 years that I've been pastor in this church, I have seen this happen too many times to count. Either way. Either direction. I would, so that wouldn't be unfortunate in the, in the better sense. But I've seen it happen either way. I've seen people that were young and, and not very solid in the faith get hooked up with somebody that was a, a strong Christian and a strong believer. And man, just, their growth is just exponential. And then I've seen, on the other hand, somebody that is, is you know, being unequally yoked with unbelievers and very, in a very worldly system all the time. And man, how their thinking just degrades over time. And before you know it, they're rejecting things in the Bible they should have never been rejecting. They're changing their views, changing their ideas on things that they should have never changed. But it was because they were being unequally yoked with unbelievers. 
So whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Look at Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So what the author of Hebrews tells us here is that we should actually be thinking about how to stir up one another to, to love and good works. And he says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. In other words, this is, a, this is an important part of being a Christian is gathering together. Now what I find interesting about this scripture, he doesn't tell us that it's, and of course we could find this in other places in the Bible, but he doesn't tell us it's important for us to gather together so that we can worship. He doesn't tell us here that it's important that we gather together so that we can hear the word. He doesn't tell us that it's important to gather together you know, so that we can serve or pray. No, he uses relationships as the reason why we should not neglect to meet together. Look at what he says. Let us consider how to stir up one another through relationship. How to consider to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So if you look at the early church, you see multi-facets and reasons why they gathered. They gathered for fellowship. These are specific reasons the Bible tells us in the book of Acts. They gathered for prayer. They gathered for worship in the Word. But don't miss that fellowship part. They gathered to fellowship and be in relationship with one another because they needed each other so bad. Now, if we look back to the time in the book of Acts, the church was under severe persecution. And they literally were having to bring their belongings and, and pull them together so that they could help each other survive. It, they, In that sense, they had to have one another just to even survive because the persecution was so intense. Well, the persecution is not that intense on us. But I think that might be one reason he says, don't neglect gathering together all the more as you see the day drawing near. Because what's going to be associated with the day drawing near? He, tell, he tells us in the book of Matthew. He tell, Jesus tells us that as the day draws near, that the times are going to get harder and harder and more difficult. And the persecution is going to increase and the intensity is going to increase. And he said, basically what he's saying is, as the day draws near, you're going to need each other more and more and more and more and more. And what I would encourage you with is, um, you may not always necessarily see how you need other people. For example, if you're in a good marriage and a good family, and you got a big family like I have, you know, you got brothers and sisters and cousins and you got all the big, you might think, well, I don't, what do I really need other people for? And you might even think, I don't even have time. For, for other relationships, you know, like, like you're talking about. Well, I'm not talking about being friends in the sense of going out and having coffee and, and doing all of that and, and spending a bunch of time. But in life groups specifically, when we come together, listen, you have something to give off, as does the other people in the room. It's a supply on either end that gives back and forth. And the Bible tells us that when that's happening, those people have the Spirit of God in them. You have the Spirit of God in you. There's something that you need from them, and there's something that they need from you.
I like what Paul told, I think it was the Corinthian church, he said, when I come to see you, I can't wait that we might be encouraged by our mutual faith. Y'all know Keith Hershey comes to, to preach, his, the name of his ministry is Mutual Faith, and it's based off of that scripture. But the idea is that when we come together, everybody has something to give off. So, this becomes extremely important in the life of every believer. I remember serving in youth ministry for probably close to 10 years before we started this church. And I, I saw as a youth pastor how crucial this was, especially in the life of a teenager. Now, adults, it's important, but it, it, it could end up being, a, they're a little more resilient. But especially in youth, I saw how crucial this was. Man, and as a youth pastor, you had to really stay on top of it because you, you would have to go to youth and challenge them just as, the, as a shepherd in their life. You would have to go and say, listen, this relationship is not good for you. I'm watching it, I'm watching it pull you down. And for, for youth, it was so important that our leaders and the youth pastor, we had to actually be proactive about, I'd say, confronting or challenging them in these areas and say, man, you're, you're hooking up with this person. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're developing a friendship with this person, and it's, it's not helpful to your relationship with God, and you need to think about it. And it would, and so many times the decision they made with that would determine, you know, how they were going to be with God over the next several years. Here's another thing I learned about relationships. I have learned that some relationships become disproportionately important in our life. What do, what do I mean by that? Well, every relationship is important, but most, most of them, most of the relationships in our lives, you know, they, they play a very small role. But then there are some relationships that are what I would call disproportionately important. Meaning, if you don't make that relationship, everything in your life ends up being different. Everything, every the whole course of your life ends up being different if you don't make that, that one relationship. And I've had several of those types of relationships in my life. I talked last week about how I met my wife in youth group at the church and all the things that led up to that. And, and, and if that relationship hadn't been made, I mean, the course of my life would have turned out completely different. But I think about Pastor Brandon, you know, uh, our youth pastor. Br Brandon is my brother-in-law. And we met at Word of Life Center. I want to just use this as an example so you can see what I mean when I say that some relationships are disproportionately important. When I was at Word of Life, I had been doing youth ministry there for a while. This is in Shreveport. And Brandon started coming to the church. He had youth ministry experience, and he started serving on the youth leadership team. And I didn't know Brandon very well. We were just getting to know each other. And one of the things, Brandon, all of our leaders had to be there at a certain time, I don't remember, I, if maybe it was 8 o'clock, and I would always get there, you know, like 7, just to get everything ready, and uh, kind of like our church, the youth had their own service and everything going on, and uh, Brandon would get there the same time I would. Brandon found out what time I was getting there, and then he would just start showing up when I was showing up, and not only did he show up, and this is when he won, this is when he won my friendship instantly, not only would he show up, but he would bring me a cup of Starbucks coffee. And I'm like, okay, this is going to work. This is going to be good. So he would, every Sunday morning, he would show up 
bring me a cup of coffee, bring him a cup of coffee, and he would help me get the lights turned on and set up, and then we'd end up talking for 30 minutes before uh, the, you know, everybody else got there. And so that was every week. That would happen. Nobody asked him to do that. I didn't ask him to do that. He, he just decided to do that. Well, for those of you that know the story, we developed a very strong friendship. He ended up marrying my wife's sister, Jamie. So why do I say relationships are disproportionately important, some of them? Well, his, his, his wife and future spouse was tied up in that relationship. He would have never met Jamie had we not developed that relationship the way he did. Then, because of that relationship, he ended up moving to Alexandria and being on staff at this church. And now they have a beautiful family, and they've been serving with us this, this whole time. And so the whole course of his life, now, now would it have gone on to live, a, you know, we don't know these things exactly how that would have worked, but my point is all of that came out of a relationship. And, I, and I've seen this, and I've learned this so many times. Please, please get this, and please understand this. There are things that God wants to get into your life that will only come through another relationship. Everything's not like that, okay? Sometimes if you want to apply the, bump, the truck bumper sticker, yeah, it's just you and God. That's fine. But a lot of times there are things that God wants to get in your life that you will never get except through a relationship that he's ordained and that he's designated for you. And when there is a relationship that is that crucial in your life, please understand that Satan will attack it. He'll try to bring division. He'll try to bring separation. He'll try to divide, he'll try to bring anger, he'll try to bring offense. Because that relationship ends up being, like I said, disproportionately important to your, to your life. And you go, what does all this have to do with life groups? Well, if we isolate ourselves, and we're not where we're supposed to be when we're supposed to be there, and we're not in relationship with people that we're supposed to be in relationship with, guess what? We can miss the things that we're talking about this morning. Now, it might not be as dramatic as it would have been for Brandon, for example. But trust me, there's growth. There's knowledge. There are things in your marriage that can be better because of who you're in relationship with and the people that you get around. And here's the thing, guys. We don't know what we don't know. So if we're missing it, we probably don't know we're missing it. If we're missing ingredients in our life, we probably don't know we're missing it until we get around somebody else that has them. And then we get around them and we begin to learn and we begin to grow and we begin to develop. So these relationships are crucially important. And what I hope I'm getting across to you and what I want you to understand is that this is how God designed the body of Christ. In all God's wisdom, I, I've thought about this so many times. In all God's wisdom, in, in all of his intelligence and intricacies of how he does things, think about how he designed the church. And it hasn't really changed since its inception. The church does a few basic things. Number one, we gather. Number two, we worship. And number three, we hear the word of God and we learn, and we learn the word of God. And you could add number four, we serve. But for centuries, this is what the church has been doing. We gather, we sing, we preach, we serve, and we start over. And it hasn't really changed. Now, of course, if you go to a church, a lot, churches can do that completely different. Like you can walk in one church and it's completely different. The way everything gets done is completely different. But those are the basic tenets of it. And I've often thought in God's great wisdom, 
is this really the thing? Is this, is this what's going to change the world? Gathering, singing, preaching, and serving. Gathering, singing, preaching, and serving. Is this the thing that's going to you know, be the light of the world? And in God's great wisdom, I think he knows a few things that we don't know. And I think he knows how human beings thrive best. I think he knows how we function best. I think he knows how we stay healthy, how we develop, and how we grow. And all of that is part of a community. And I think here's what I'm trying to say to you. Is that I don't know if you can completely and effectively be part of the community that God's called you to be a part of if all you do is attend a Sunday morning service. Now, if, if you attend uh, a Sunday morning service, certainly you're going to get a lot of what God has for you, no doubt. No doubt. But to really take it to that next level, if you're wanting to grow and develop, I think that you need to be a deeper part of the community of One Life Church. Um, and, and, and if all you do is come on Sundays, that's fine. I'm not, no, you know, there's, there's various reasons, but I'm just letting you know that if you want to go deeper and you want to develop and you want to get everything that God has for you, you may have to go past just the Sunday morning experience. And you may need to engage in the community that God has placed you within. Amen? Okay, everybody that said amen, make sure you're part of life groups, otherwise you're being a hypocrite. Okay, just... No, I'm kidding. Talking about these disproportionate relationships that are, like I said, disproportionately important. Uh, Ruth and Naomi from the Bible. Remember that? Ruth never would have met Boaz had she not been in relationship with Naomi. Paul and Timothy. What an important relationship in Timothy's life and Paul's. Mordecai and Esther. Literally the whole, the whole future of Israel and the people of Israel rested on that one relationship. Had, had Esther not had Mordecai in her life to speak wisdom, she was going to make the wrong decision. And Mordecai had a voice in her life that she heeded and she listened to, and it, and it actually changed the course of a whole nation. Elijah and Elisha. There are some relationships that are just so important than others. And listen, uh, you never know when that relationship's going to come or how it comes. When, when I was developing that relationship with Brandon, I had no idea what it was going to turn into. I had no idea he was going to become my brother-in-law and marry my wife's sister. I had no idea he was going to be the uncle to my children or that he was going to be the associate pastor, youth pastor at our church and, and be an enormous blessing to our church. I didn't know that. He didn't know that. We, I just thought this was another youth leader that I had, we had dozens and dozens of them. I didn't know there was anything special about that relationship, and that's usually how it works. That's usually how it works because guess what? God ends up testing us in those, in those moments of will we be obedient? Will we obey his word? Will we do what we're supposed to do? And you don't always know all the consequences that are going to come out of it. So when you isolate yourself, you can miss out on this. Another relationship for, uh, for, that, for me that is like that is Pastor Cedric Jefferson. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Pastor Cedric is a pastor of Global Impact Church across town. He and I are great friends. We've become even better friends over the last few years. And for both of us, we, we could sit up here and talk about all the things that have come out of the, that relationship for us as pastors that needed each other and needed that relationship in our, in our life. Uh, so just on a personal level, 
it's an extremely valuable relationship. But another thing that came out of that relationship was Ron's house. You know, we started Ron's house together on Bolton Avenue, and everybody that comes through Ron's house, please connect the dots. Every single person that comes through Ron's house and gets ministered to and helped is because of the relationship that Pastor Cedric and I developed. And without it, it wouldn't be there. It wouldn't exist. It wouldn't happen. So the fruit of relationship is coming out of Ron's house. I want to read a quick testimony to you. We get a bunch of these. But just to illustrate you know, what, what I'm talking about this morning, this is a guy who came through Ron's house. We're going we're gonna to call him Glenn. Glenn was homeless. He had no ID, no food, no money, no clothes. Since being at Ron's house, he has paid off all of his court fees and fines. While working two jobs, he has reinstated his CDL license, which was suspended. He completed the Ron's house program, which involves getting a job, setting a budget, attending life skill classes and church. Now he lives in his own home in Pineville and is currently employed as a driver for the city of Alexandria Transit Department. Now, that's just one story, but every single day at Ron's house, people are being helped through this. And you could ask Pastor Cedric, he would tell you the same thing. The only reason that Ron's house exists today is because of relationship. God brought two churches, two pastors, two groups of people together to do something that neither church would have done by themselves. And that's why I say... And I've just seen this in ministry. If you haven't seen it, you'll have to trust me. That's why I say there are sometimes that, that God wants to get something in your life that you'll never get except that you get in relationship with the right person because it's almost like uh, two halves of the little heart socket, you know, on the necklace. What are those called? What? Friendship bracelet? Okay, that'll work, sure. Uh, but it's like one, pe one person has a piece and the other one has a piece and they have to come together to make the perfect piece. And that's what happened with Ron's house. You know, Pastor Cedric and Global, they, they had the vision for it. And one life, God had blessed one life with the finances to help it. And the two things came together and, it, and this is the fruit of it. I just read you one story, but I could read you dozens and dozens of stories of people that are being impacted by that. And that's just one example of the fruit and the things that come out of relationship. But it takes, it takes effort. It takes time to invest into relationship. And sometimes uh, we're too busy. And, it, and I would say, yeah, exactly. That's the problem. You're too busy. Too busy doing things that God didn't ask you to do. Too busy doing things that aren't actually that important to the kingdom. Sometimes we have to slow down and realize what's really valuable. One reason that people... And I hear this sometimes in our church. Uh, one reason that sometimes people don't want to be part of a life group is just simply out of discomfort. You know, it's, it's just uncomfortable because, well, I don't like small talk. I don't like chit-chat. You know, I'm an introvert. I don't like to just be around people like that, you know. And here's what I would say. Um, sometimes you have to press past discomfort to get what God has for you. Just because something is uncomfortable doesn't mean it's not valuable. And just because something is uncomfortable doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. If, if we avoid everything in our life that is uncomfortable, we're going to be avoiding a lot of things we ought to be doing. Let's talk about what comfort is just for a moment. What, is, what actually is comfort? 
Comfort is a state of physical or psychological ease and contentment. It is a subjective experience that encompasses feelings of relaxation, security, and well-being. Comfort is often associated with a lack of stress, pain, or any significant challenges. Comfort will also be closely linked to risk. In other words, the, the less risk there is, the more comfort we experience. But here's the problem. Um, and this is not in a spiritual sense. This is just true in life in general. As comfort goes up, complacency, stagnation, and plateauing goes up as well. The more comfortable we are, this is with our physical bodies, this is with our brains, this is with every, every part of our life. As comfort goes up, complacency, stagnation, and plateauing go up as well. We begin to avoid risks and new challenges all to what? Preserve comfort. Preserve a state of comfort in our lives. The problem is almost all growth and development comes out of discomfort. Almost all growth and development come out of discomfort. If that's, if that's physical change, you know, working out, eating right, it all requires massive discomfort that leads to great rewards and great growth. So this is where we get the term comfort zone. You know that was created in the 80s because they used the word zone, you know. I, I, my youth group was called the power zone. They loved that word back in the, on Nintendo we had warp zones, you know. Anyway, it's just back in the 80s. That, they loved that word zones, okay. But now that may not fit as much. But the word comfort zone, everybody's like, I got to get outside of my comfort zone. We use it so much now that it's not, it doesn't even carry the same meaning. But that comes from, um, that, that comes from this idea of what we're talking about, that there is a comfort zone where no growth happens. Okay? Then there's the discomfort zone all the way over here on this side. And in the discomfort zone, if it goes too far, that's where like injury can happen, people, nervous breakdowns, too much stress, too much anxiety, too much pain, too much discomfort, too much difficulty over here on this side. But in the middle, they develop what they call the learning zone. And it's this balance between some comfort, some discomfort, and then you're right in that sweet spot where you're being challenged enough that you learn, that you grow, that you develop. Listen, life groups is not going to put you over here in the breakdown zone, breakdown discomfort zone, okay? I promise you that. It's going to put you right in the learning zone, right? Where, yeah, it's a little bit uncomfortable. I understand that, you know, we got people that are introverts and some that are extroverts and people don't like it. Look, my <clears throat> all I would say is just let it be a challenge to you to obey the Word of God as far as developing relationships. Are there other ways you can develop relationships? Yeah, sure. You, you don't have to have life groups to develop Christian relationships and, and all of that. But it is what your church is doing, the church that God's put you in, and the community of believers that God's put you in. It is, it is what we're doing as a group and and I think we should be a part of it. Uh, what's cool about this learning zone that I was talking about is something in the brain called neuroplasticity, which is basically when we face any new or challenging situation, the brain forms new neural connections and pathways to adapt to these experiences. So the, the brain is not static. 
meaning like when you were, you know, 20 or whatever, it, it stopped growing and developing. It's, it's able to rewire itself. I was just uh, reading recently about, some of you may have heard about this guy, I can't remember his name now, but it was like from the 1800s where he was working on this old railroad and there was a blast, there was an explosion, and this steel pipe, like an inch in diameter, shot through, straight through his head and went, created a tunnel through his brain like that, straight through his brain and came out on the other side. Uh, and he stayed conscious through the whole thing, never, never passed out and, and didn't die from it miraculously and never really had that much significant uh, change from it. And doctors, could, to this day, they still study this case, couldn't, couldn't figure it out. And it just was a miracle. It, the part of the brain that it went through didn't control any vital organs or anything like that. And so then what happened over time is that his brain just began to rewire itself. And we see that with certain traumatic injuries that, that, that can happen. Why do I say that? Because your brain, if, if you're uncomfortable in certain situations, your brain has wired itself to find comfort in that area. But guess what? It can be rewired. And, and all comfort really is, is we, we get a certain uh, reward, basically, from keeping ourselves in that place of comfort. But here's what we've all learned is that things that cause us to be uncomfortable, we can actually begin to get a reward from that. You know, if, for example, if you started working out, when you, maybe when you first started working out, you absolutely hated it, detested it, it was the worst thing in the world. I used to feel that way about running, still do. But there was a time where I started running and I was like, I kind of enjoy this now. And I lost it. I, I don't feel that way now. But at that time, I did, I started running, and I was like, I eventually got to a place where I was like, man, I enjoy the, the endorphins that I get and the high of it and being out in the morning. And so before something that I hated, now I started to love. Why? Because my, my attitude and my brain had changed towards it. And I think as we think about these relationships that God has for us to be in, that that's a, an op, that should be an option for us is to think that, man, maybe this could turn into a positive. Maybe this could be something that God has for us. Romans 5.3, Paul said this. I'm th thinking of this about discomfort. He said, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Again, not comfort, but discomfort produces those things. Amen. Okay, so let me tell you just a few little practical details about life groups, and then we're going to be done this morning. Uh, some of you already know this because you've been a part. This is more for those that haven't been a part. What do we do at life groups? Well, we, we usually eat people fellowship. There's usually some sort of food. Depending on which life group you go to, it could be a feast, <laughs> or it could be just some chips and, and salsa. You know, it could be something small. So it just depends on the group that you're part of. They're all a little bit different. But... Uh, we pray, we study the Word, but mainly it's the, it's the fellowship and the relationships. Uh, the way life groups are going currently is we will take the sermon that was preached on Sunday, whatever series we're in, and then we'll just begin to go through it at life groups, uh, you know, kind of re-looking at some of the Scripture, bringing up different points, talking about what it, what it meant to you. And <clears throat> so there's a time of discussion, prayer, fellowship, things like that. Some of the life groups will get together outside of life groups. You know, they'll do fun things outside of it on a relational level. 
Uh, is there any commitment? No. You, you can start, and then if you don't like it, you can change life groups. If you don't like life groups at all, you can stop. There's no commitment. <clears throat> so you just you show up when you can, and you be there when you can. Uh, no red tape, no signing up, nothing like that. Basically, you just pick a group and show up. And I'm going to show you how to pick a group in just a minute. Um, one of the things that we do to help people pick a group is our life group kickoff party. So life group kickoff party will be on uh, this Wednesday night in the stu <coughs> student center at six. Every life group, <coughs> excuse me, every life group will have their own section that's, that's designated by color. And when you come in, there'll be somebody there to help you. If you don't know which life group you want to be part of, there'll be somebody there to help you pick which life group to be a part of, explaining the differences. Some of our groups are a little bit younger. Some of our groups are a little bit older. Some of our groups meet, you know, on campus. Some meet off. So those questions will be answered for you. Um, and that'll be explained at kickoff party. Plus, kickoff party is just a lot of fun. We have, we have a great time. We eat some food and we play games. It's a lot of fun. Uh, almost all of our groups meet on Wednesday night at the same time. There's one group that meets on campus. There's uh, several groups that meet off campus. But <clears throat> the reason why we like to meet on Wednesday nights is because we have child care and youth services available at the church. So if you're attending a life group that meets off campus, you can come to the church early, drop your kids off around 545, 6, um, drop your kids or your youth off, and then you can go to life group, enjoy yourself, and then come back and get your kids. Most of, most of the groups are within five minutes of the church, so they're very close. Also, uh, on, life groups, on life group nights, yeah, most groups do provide food of some kind, and also at the church we provide food for the kids and the youth. So every Wednesday night there's pizza for the kids and for the youth, so they're taken care of. So the whole family can have a, a night off from cooking or whatever, and, and you don't have to worry about trying to provide food and stuff for your kids. Um, so the best way to find out information about the groups is two ways. One is our website. If you go to our website, onelifechurchalexandria.com, there is a life group page on there, and it tells you all the life groups that are available, who's leading the life groups, what time they meet, the address of where they meet, all of that, or uh, on your way out today, you can pick up one of these uh, rack cards out in the foyer or the orange tents, and there's a QR code on there. Uh, also, our web address is on there, so you can take this. If you scan this with your phone, it'll take you directly to the web page where all the life groups are, and uh, you can see them that way. But real quick, we're going to go through. Uh, I just want to give you a quick visual on the screen. Um, I don't know who the first group is, so if you want to put it up, we'll start there. All right, so that's Cam and Br uh, Brooke Pitchford. Uh, last semester, Willis and Amber were leading this group, and Cam and Brooke were co-leading. Willis and Amber are going to be helping us in the kids' department this semester, so Cam and Brooke, uh, along with Jordan and Dana Vaughn, are going to be helping uh, lead this group. And they meet off campus on Wednesday nights. Then we have Tyler and Erica Phillips. That's the orange group, the notorious orange group, they, well, anyway, uh, yeah, they have a lot of fun. They also meet on Wednesday nights at six, and, and their house is in the Lynx subdivision, so right down the street. Next, we have Lynn and Tina Welch, <clears throat> Wednesday nights at six. 
they meet, they're the group that meets here on campus. So they, they have their time of food and fellowship in the foyer. This group has really good food, by the way. And I only know that because I'm here on Wednesday nights and sometimes I sneak in and grab a little. But uh, they, have, they have their time of fellowship in the foyer and then you guys will be meeting in the family room after that. And so that's the only group that meets here at the church on Wednesday nights. If you're somebody that says, well, I'm a little bit uncomfortable going to someone's house or whatever, but I'm, I'm comfortable coming to the church, well, then that might be a good group for you. Or, or sometimes people have young children that they're afraid they might have to get out of the nursery, uh, and, and they, they want to be on campus because they want to be close by to be able to, to get their kids or whatever they need to, then we have that group that meets here at the church on campus. Also, we have Jimbo and Alita Jacobs in Pineville. This is the only group that doesn't meet on Wednesday nights. They meet uh, in Pineville on Tuesday nights. Um, and so if you live in Pineville or that area or you don't, this group is really good if you don't need child or youth care because there's no children or youth care provided, but uh, their group is available in Pineville. Did we miss anybody? Yeah, Casey and Amber Babcock. Uh, this group meets in Alexandria close to the church as well, but this, this group is specifically for young adults. This group, and so we had this discussion, you know, okay, well, what is a young adult? Look, if you're questioning that, it's probably not you, okay? I'm, no, I'm kidding. But there is, you know, you got to use some, it's just, do you feel young? And, and it probably, well, it's probably 18 to 30-ish in that, in that range, but not exactly because some people get married and they start having kids younger, and so they might fit in a better, uh, a different group. So it's, it's not an exact science, but this is for those that, are in college or freshly out of college, starting their career, maybe not married yet type thing, even though uh, those are not hard and fast rules. But I will say, if you show up to the group and the leaders decide that you're not a young adult, they may let you know. They may help you realize, that they'll do it in a delicate, tactful way, but they may let you know, yeah, you're not really a young adult, you know. But, uh, so those are all of our groups. Again, you can access them, you can go to our website, uh, to find a list of all of them and the addresses and times and everything like that. Or you can pick up one of the rack cards, make it easy, scan it with your phone, and it'll take you there. And, uh, and you can find all the information there. Okay, um, that is everything. If you have any questions or you're not sure about something, uh, come to the Life Group kickoff party. It'll be a lot easier to answer questions and talk there. And what I encourage you is if you just have no clue, you're like, I don't have any clue what group I want to be a part of, perfect. Come to the Life Group kickoff party. You're going to enjoy it. It's going to be real easy to pick which group to be a part of there. We'll be helping you with that. You don't have to have any knowledge or information about it. Just show up this Wednesday at 6 o'clock in the Student Center, and we're going to have an amazing time. Amen?